0: Last time we went back to the 1940s, we covered Charlie Chaplin's *The Great Dictator*. This time it's Laurence Olivier's *Hamlet*, which won four Oscars on seven nominations. I wouldn't say that the movie's aged too well, Connor. What do you think about that?
1: I yeah, compared to these other four gems, this is kind of a kind of a dull affair. Uh, and honestly, I don't see when it would be quite as exhilarating as the awards. Tend to reflect. I mean, this seems like it was always this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's just right. And
0: Hamlet, uh, you know, took home the, the big one. Uh, it's a film neither of us have seen. And actually, neither of us had seen any of the best picture nominees. And you know what we went ahead and did? We watched them all. Yes, uh, Johnny, Johnny Belinda uh, got the most nominations uh, with 12. That would be the 21st Academy Awards. And that's kind of where we're going to be living. Connor and I have certainly both been living in 1948, watching all these films, uh, checking everything out. And Hamlet, um, you know, we went in blind with all five of these and Hamlet's the the winner and it's Laurence Olivier, he's looked at it as his, you know, he's the director, the actor, won all these awards. It's the first non-Hollywood production to win best picture. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's, that's a big deal uh, after, you know, two decades of this going on for that to be the first one is is fascinating <laughs> and you know it's it's also the first time the individual directed himself in an oscar-winning performance and that's laurence olivier so we're definitely going to be talking about hamlet the film itself and laurence olivier um how this is kind of seen as his you know masterpiece uh, artistically i i disagree as far as his performances go but uh the man is doing a lot and uh, you know when you look look at it now it's so interesting because you might disregard some of these 1940s movies, but shit, man, those other four movies are really good.
1: Oh, they're groundbreaking. They, you know, a lot of them were firsts in, very, uh, in a lot of different ways. Yes. And I feel like Hamlet was a, f- it was, it broke some new ground, but it's, it's Shakespeare.
0: It broke ground after it came out, meaning it broke ground here at the Oscars. Yeah. But but as far as it, the film itself is not breaking any ground, you know, people have done these things and will continue to do them. There's so many Hamlet, you know, adaptations and we'll talk about those later and kind of make fun of some of them, but it you know, it's it's reused, recycled over and over and over. I mean, fucking Lion King, right? You know, it's used <laughs> in kids' stories, it's reused in adult stories, and these other four films are not only, you know, really good, but they also were breaking ground while being
1: made. True, true, and Shakespeare appeals to certain people. Not everybody is going to enjoy Shakespeare. I don't personally enjoy Shakespeare. It's yeah, yeah. And uh, but Olivier was known for his theatrical, like gravitas and just his presence in the theater, and he brought that presence to the screen. And in in many ways, you know, Hamlet is seen as the the real first big Shakespeare movie, 1948's Hamlet, because no one else had really done it on this scale before. No one had tried to bring this, these, you know, centuries-old stories to the screen, and I admire that. But you gotta do something about it. You can't just bring it straight to the screen or else people are gonna fall asleep, frankly. I mean, Yeah, and- for sure. I, I mean, you, you kind of texted me while you
0: were watching it last night, and you were kind of like, huh, this is... It's a little bit boring, and especially compared to the films you had just watched.
1: Yeah, like for example, I uh, I look at uh, 2015's Macbeth. Uh, Justin Kurzel directed, Michael Fassbender, Marion Cotillard starred. That movie is phenomenal. Does a great job adapting the Shakespearean play Macbeth in this war torn revenge thriller that is engaging from beginning to end. So there are ways to adapt Shakespeare and keep the, the, you know, the soul of the story intact. I just don't think Olivier did that. No,
0: and, and the performance
1: itself
0: is, you know, quite, quite, quite audacious, you know, and the movie is definitely built on, you know, a certain atmosphere and kind of psychologically speaking to, you know, Hamlet's, you know, mental breakdowns and whatnot. And it it works to an extent, but this this film is you know two and a half hours, right? Yeah. And you can only t- take so much, in my opinion, and and your opinion as well. We both would give it a fat seven. Like it, it, it just it doesn't work for that long, and you know it's kind of it feels like it's almost stringing you out. You know, you're like, oh man, like are we going to continue to have this kind of facade and speak in this manner and always walk this way it, it's it's very bizarre and you know you, you forget you're in denmark half
1: the fucking time the funny thing about that is olivier actually toned hamlet down substantially cuz he cut out a lot and it actually infuriated he a lot cut, of shakespeare he, purists he
0: cut out he cut out two huge characters yeah he cut, he made massive decisions
1: yeah i mean uh ethel Barrymore was the one who presented best picture that year i think and she was very much yeah against olivier's uh, portrayal of Hamlet because her family, you know, did the, the real story on, on the stage. And uh, <laughs> it just, it, it blows my mind that this was controversial. <laughs> yeah. Some what's,
0: what was controversial then? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it, it is like, I, it's him just kind of showboating, right? Lawrence Olivier. It's just, oh, kinda, wow. you know, the, that, that's my main point is, you know, the, the camera is very much just, Constantly in awe of him. You know, he's the director, and two and a half hours of that, it just kind of takes a toll on you. It's a bit exhausting. And whereas, again, these other four films, uh, I'll just go ahead and name them now uh, Johnny Belinda, The Red Shoes, The Snake Pit, and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. All spectacular um, films I definitely will be watching, you know, in the future again. And I can't say the same for Hamlet, you know, which is on HBO Max. We stated that last week, so hopefully. We have some listeners who, you know, watch that and you're here with us on this journey. Um, we went deep into 1948, man. We went real deep. And I also, you know, kind of branched down and watched Ona, um, this, this Japanese film that was really cool that I enjoyed. Um, do you have any favorites from 1948 that maybe should have been up here at these Oscars? I know it's kind of hard with that. Our perspective—we're so young—and we're talking about the 21st Academy Awards. But are there any that pop out?
1: There's one film that I have loved my entire life from 1948. I don't think it should have been up for any awards, but it is one of my all-time favorites: Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Hell yeah! 1948—the second time Bela Lugosi played Dracula. Hard to believe he only ever played Dracula twice, compared to you know Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney Jr. You know, they're respective characters they played him a m- bunch of times but legosi only ever played dracula twice in the original film and in this where it was really like the first big crossover movie where you've got legosi's dracula lon cheney jr's wolfman and then uh glenn strange plays frankenstein's monster but it's just watching these two bumbling idiots run into these monsters and uh you've got a cameo at the end of vincent price playing the invisible man it's such an enjoyable movie that uh, i just, just it's been a part of my Halloween rotation literally my whole life. My grandparents showed it to me when I was a kid, and I never looked back. It's such a great movie, so funny, still hilarious, and uh, it's just cool to see all those characters together. You know?
0: Oh yeah, of course, so rewarding. That's part of why we watch movies, right? It's to see certain people and characters line up together. know mm-hmm. I I can I can confidently say um, that that Hamlet should be taken out of this group and Drunken Angel by Akira Kurosawa should be in there. Okay. Uh, Awesome, awesome awesome film that I think a lot of people would enjoy. You know, Kurosawa is one of the most, you know, prolific filmmakers uh, during his time. He just churned out a lot of of really cool movies, had some, you know, had some mental problems, you know, tried to take his own life at one point. And the man's just a, you know, brilliant, brilliant artist. And I really, really couldn't, you know, can suggest or recommend Drunken Angel anymore. You know, it's it's an awesome film and I really do think it's like of the caliber of these other four where it's really unique and really good and got some incredibly impactful scenes whereas Hamlet just doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. It's just such a
1: slog. The only part I really liked was the ending.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to talk about, you know, um, some stuff. We, we are going to change up a bit of, you know, how the show works here on Oscar Sunday uh, as you can... You could hear earlier where, you know, now, you know, working with anchor.fm and, you know, want to change some stuff up, not just with uh, how we're distributing our podcast, but just kind of the process and the format of it. So, you know, we're going we're to gonna change some stuff around, but we're still definitely going to go through the categories that Hamlet was up for uh, and, and the ones that it won, which was seven. So this time we're going to have a little bit more to say than last week, which was a Little Miss Sunshine, which had four, but we kind of went all over the place and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, that's what we're going to continually do on this show next week. We're going to a completely different decade. So, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's see the first one that Hamlet, I guess would be costume design right here, which this is the first year costume design was introduced uh, mm-hmm. at the Oscars. Fascinating that it took so goddamn long, but, um, <laughs> r- really cool. Um, a movie I did watch recently that I'll have review up is a uh, gate of hell, which won, best foreign language film or well got an honorary award in 1953 and also won best costume design. And this is just a really cool category that I think uh, we should shout out as much as we can. And I feel similarly to it as I would if there was a stunt category, it's just really important, it's really important It's part of the way the movie just feels and moves.
1: Yeah, I agree. And this being the first year, there were only two films up for costume design, uh, black and white. And then costume yeah. design color, they used to separate by uh, color and black and white. So it was Hamlet, and then B.F.'s daughter, and then best costume design color was the Emperor Waltz and the winner, Joan of Arc. Uh, and as far as costume design goes, yeah, Hamlet is pretty stellar. I mean, Shakespeare, Shakespearean films and period films always knock it out of the park with costume design. Yeah, you kind of have to,
0: right? Otherwise, the film will not work. It's famous for, you know, as we do the show, we'll find out more and more how often you set, you know, period pieces just kind of dominate this category. And Hamlet's definitely one that started that, you know, started that trend.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Then we have art direction. Uh, Art direction, black and white, and art direction, color. Once again, two a (laughs) piece. Stupid. Just if it's only four, just put them all together, man. God. So for black and white, we have Johnny Belinda versus Hamlet, and for color, we have Joan of Arc versus the Red Shoes. Nobody was taking production design away from the Red Shoes. (laughs) Oh my gosh! That movie is all about production design. Yeah, yeah. Any of
0: those categories? Yeah, the Red Shoes is a very atmospheric film. I would love to cover it one day. Uh, on on one of our podcasts cuz it's a it's an odd one but it, it is a strong film
1: that totally belongs in that best picture group 100%. And yeah, for again, you know, films like this, Shakespearean epics always kill it with production design. So yeah, of course it's going to take that over Johnny Belinda, which mainly takes place in one house.
0: Yeah, and Johnny Belinda though, man, you talk about, you know, like you said takes place in one house, it's up for 12 Oscars. 12 yeah that's 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 a whole that's a different kind of you know league right there you know we're talking about on the waterfront kind of numbers like whoa 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 you know uh that's a film we talked about how it just kind of wrecked those awards uh in 1955 and similar thing here with johnny belinda just all over the board you know nominations
1: everywhere and it's uh it's a damn good movie i understand johnny belinda actually um holds the record for the, like still holds the record for the amount of Oscars lost. Yes, 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 yes. Lost 11 Oscars, won Best Actors for Jane Wyman. Yeah, which, which pushes me to kind of want to do it next time we come to 1948. It is a groundbreaking film, and we'll talk all about these films uh, the further we get into the show. Yes. Oh, indeed. Yeah, they'll just keep
0: coming up as we keep moving along here because Hamlet is everywhere as well.
1: So it won costume design and art direction. Let's talk about one it didn't win. Best score, William Walton. And uh, this, I believe, was separated two. They have best scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture and best scoring of a musical picture.
0: And they finally learned, hey, let's leave that shit to the Globes. Come on,
1: guys. Yeah, because, you know, back in the day, musicals were all the rave. They were the big, profitable genre. Everybody saw musicals. You could take your kids to see musicals. And uh, you can thank Hello, Dolly for killing that. We talked about that a few weeks ago. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, No kidding. Best scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture, we have The Snake Pit by Alfred Newman, Johnny Belinda by Max Steiner, Joan of Arc by Hugo Friedhofer, Hamlet by William Walton, and the winner, The Red Shoes by Brian Easdale. And again, yeah, no one's taken that from The Red Shoes. It's a movie all about, you know, built around music and Uh, ballet and just an operatic film so there's no way that score was going to lose to anybody else that was
0: yeah yeah it's it's the red shoes through and through um operatic such a great word to use for that film and it yeah it certainly is driving off of the vibe and you texted me after uh you watched it and you're like you you know it it was a very serious, nice and simple text that just said, you're going to like that one. You know, it was, and I, and I kind of knew, I knew what I was going for. It was like definitely in my wheelhouse. Um, love the Red Shoes.
1: Wonderful film. That takes us to some big ones. We have Best Director, Laurence Olivier. Up against, we have Anatoly Litvak for The Snake Pit, Fred Zinneman for The Search. Uh, Jean Nagulsko for Johnny Belinda and the winner, John Huston for Treasure of the Sierra Madre.
0: Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. The Treasure of the Sierra Madre to me is, you know, uh, like a a masterpiece. It, uh, it's in itself uh, and then you look at how many films it's influenced, you know. Shame on me for taking this long to see this one. I know. it. Yeah. It, it, it is like Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs makes sense now, you know. <laughs> and uh, I can't believe I can't believe it took me this long. This is the one out of this group that I was like, "Oh boy, I need to own this. Um, I want to watch this over and over." It's immediately something I would love, and you know, I recommend to everybody is uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Well deserved, uh, John Houston.
1: Yeah, I agree. That was a, <laughs> that was kind of a no brainer. That film is so well-directed. It's such a masterpiece of suspense and, you know, character. It's, uh, yeah, that was his Oscar.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, we'll, we'll, we'll get even more into that one
1: uh, when we come up to Best Picture. Yes, indeed. Um, then we have Best Actress in a Supporting Role, uh, Gene Simmons, who played Ophelia. She was up against Agnes Moorhead for Johnny Belinda, Ellen Corby for I Remember Mama, Barbara Bell Geddes for I Remember Mama, and the winner, Claire Trevor for Key Largo. Key Largo is another one of those iconic uh, 20th century films that I have just not gotten around to, regrettably. Also Houston, right? Uh, yeah. get
0: <laughs> yep, yep, yep. a good year. Well, that's how, that's how the, the big dogs did it back then. They, they didn't dick around. They would make a couple films a year. Uh, you know, Hitchcock is a guy we've talked about a lot. That's a man who had no problem trying to make as many films as he could in in one decade. And uh, it's not, it's just not that way anymore. You got to go through a lot more hoops to get what you want uh, and to make it exactly how you want your vision to come across. So I I just, part of me wishes I would have been alive during these days, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, we look at a guy like John Houston who directed some incredible films that I had like, completely forgotten about like he did the Maltese Falcon I couldn't believe that I mean he worked with bogey more than anybody and you know then ends up playing the bad guy in Chinatown like what the fuck (laughs) who was this guy guy was a fucking rock star um best supporting actress honestly I have um I don't really have a dog in this race because I have not seen Ilargo or I remember mama I thought Agnes Moorhead was really good in Johnny Belinda I don't know if it's Oscar worthy performance I can tell you, Gene Simmons did not wow me as Ophelia. So. <laughs> that's that. That's
0: uh hundred percent over here. I'm with you on that one. It felt like she was on some kind of
1: drug. Yeah, she. Just, I don't know if it's in the story. Oh, all right, I'll be. Let's be honest here. I have not read Hamlet. I did not. Neither have I. In my school career, I had to read Romeo and Juliet in ninth grade, and then in ten, in twelfth uh, grade. I had to read Macbeth and The Twelfth Night. And that is all. I got out of a Shakespeare class in college because the teacher seemed like a dick and I didn't want to deal with that. So yeah, no, I don't really have a lot of Shakespeare <laughs> background, but I think uh, Eileen Hurley did a much better job as Gertrude and I would have had her up if we're taken from Hamlet. Okay, and did you realize that Hamlet, um, Hamlet's mom,
0: that actress is 29, and he, okay. 40, and he was and he was 42:
1: Okay, of course. That's,
0: that's some weird Hollywood shit, and this is not a Hollywood production.
1: And <laughs> he's like she's randomly like giving him really long, awkward kisses. I know there's supposed to be some like weird themes of incest in Hamlet. I don't know how yeah. deep those themes go, because I'm not reading Hamlet. I don't care what podcast I'm on. I'm not doing. That. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, yeah, just watch Lion King. They clean it up nice and neat, make it a good story. <laughs>
1: Oh, God. <laughs> Let's take that all to best actor. Um, Lawrence Olivier, his only acting Oscar was for Hamlet. Amazingly, in his long career, this is the only Oscar he ever won. And uh, it's not the movie I think he should have gotten it for. I think he 100% should have taken this for Rebecca.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, we talked about. Talked about Rebecca last time we were in the
1: 40s with the Great Dictator, and and I know oh, I really rooted for Chaplin on that one, but you know things change, and I think you know maybe there could have been a tie because <laughs> Olivier's performance in Rebecca is just so good. Well, this but, is
0: it, right? This is it. This is this is the interesting conversation when you know you really dig deep with the Oscars, and you're like, okay, Lawrence Olivier, you just take him for what he is, right? But, you know, let's take a different actor. Let's take a different actor. Let's go fucking Denzel Washington. Okay. So let's take Denzel Washington on paper. We look at all of his performances and we're like, oh, this one's his best. This one's his second best. This one's his third best. But then you add in, all oh, but all these other guys had these performances within that year. Yeah. And so you have to. you almost have to throw that out the window because... We would know that. We talked about Rob Williams, 1989, going against Daniel Day-Lewis, 1989, Dead Poets Society, My Left Foot. Shit. You know, <laughs> shit, 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 shit. You know, you want Robin Williams to get that one. You know, you want him to to have that one, but come on, like DDL is on a different planet in that movie. And when that shit happens, it's really frustrating because you could take it just one year later and Rob Williams takes it instead of Kevin Costner. You know, stuff like that. And so it's really, really hard to like swallow these things, but that's it with the Oscars is you're taking into account years and multiple performances. And, you know, personally I think Denzel Washington's best performance is training day. So we're all good there, <laughs> but uh, there's, there's definitely guys out there, actors and actresses who seemingly have been robbed in, in, in certain years. Um, Brad Pitt, Moneyball. Um, you know, then you're like, Oh, but once upon a time in Hollywood, like, so, yeah, but you know, it, it you don't want to play if, ands and buts when you're talking about awards and giving out the best shit, you know? Yeah. But, but that's, it's all like in context and it's so difficult. That's such a good one with Lawrence Olivier and uh Charlie Chaplin in 1940. Cause those that's like you said, <laughs> could we give a tie? <laughs> it's really, really that difficult. Uh But this year, You know, I I just don't think Laurence Olivier, I'm not going to say the word deserved, but I I don't think he earned it. I don't think he really, really earned this one.
1: It feels like a career Oscar, but his career had just kind of just started. Yeah. Almost like they knew where this guy was going to go. So they're like, we better give him the gold. Yes. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's good in Hamlet, but he is not amazing. I've he's done better. I've seen him do better. And I just, I don't understand the like universal adoration of this film. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: it's, it's, it's frustrating. And this is going to come up, you know, often we're going to have these discussions of like, Oh, he should have got it this year instead. And, you know, then you look at the five and you're like, Oh fuck, you know, maybe not. And it's really difficult. You know, I, I'm a big believer that Joaquin Phoenix. Should have gotten his Oscar seven years ago with The Master. But, you know, you you take what you can get. He got his win uh, in in the long run. He got his win.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But, you know,
0: I look at an actor like Al Pacino. Oh, that's – okay, he's perfect. He's
1: perfect Yes, Godfather, Godfather 2, Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and then they give it to him for Scent of a Woman – like is that really the film? Later, yeah. yeah, is that really the film where Al Pacino shine the most? I don't think so. Yeah, you
0: know, and that sucks. That sucks that that that's the one, you know, and when you look back, that's the one he won for and you're like, "Really?" Because on his IMDb page, these other four are ahead of it. You're like, "Yeah, cuz those are better."
1: <laughs> this is the first episode in all of our r- podcast run on either show that for me honestly felt like a homework assignment. <laughs> It's just like, ugh. But you know what? We did it.
0: Yeah, and and I agree with you. And then you know, then we were rewarded with other great movies, and now we have you know something like six reviews up just from the past few days from 1948. Yeah. And so, if you want to go on the site and check out those out, those are all up right now uh, on the homepage, even. So it's just cool to see that we're going in that direction where we're willing to kind of dive into a year, even if it's, you know, 70 years ago,
1: anything goes, anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anything goes most certainly. And, uh, you know, listeners who have, you know, been with us, uh, in this show or FilmGasm before, you know, you know, you know, we're going to jump all over the place. You know that we had a blast doing whiplash. We had a blast doing dead poet society. We had a blast doing on the waterfront. Uh, we had fun last week doing a little more sunshine and, you know, with Hamlet, you, you, we went in blind. We knew that. We went in blind with all five of them. And the one we picked, I picked, I you know, missed. Uh, it's not bad. Yeah. But, but under these circumstances <laughs> and with this criteria of, hey, we're talking about Oscar nominated movies, this is one of those that I just don't think it really deserves that spot. I agree. Uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a lot of hype. It's a lot of fluff to me. Not, not a lot of actual stuff going on. A lot of confusion. Uh, not a lot of strong moments in the movie. So, you know, that's just how it is, you know. And the other four yeah. are really good.
1: <laughs> well, Lawrence Olivier for Best Actor was up against Clifton Webb for Sitting Pretty. Dan Daly yep. for When My Baby Smiles at Me. Montgomery Clift for The Search. And Lou Ayers for Johnny Belinda. How on god's green earth was humphrey bogart not up for the treasure of the sierra madre
0: this is for us one of the biggest snipes in oscar history to not give him the win
1: should have yes. got the
0: win should have got the win let alone a nomination one of those what the fuck are you doing he's in the middle of his prime what are you doing the guy is an animal We've watched him play this character that is not, you know, a dickhead like this. And all of a sudden, he's this major, major dickhead. And he's good at it. Really good at it. And he's good looking. And he's a wonderful actor. He makes the other guys around him better. What are we doing? (laughs) Yeah. Just give the man the gold. This is how I feel sometimes. Like, people try to, you know, make it difficult. Simplify it.
1: He's, character- got, he's
0: got one of the best performances of, 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 that I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> yeah. The character of Fred C. Dobbs has such a wild journey in Sierra Madre from kind of kind-hearted, down-on-his-luck, you know, wor- uh, worker who's looking for something. And he, he just evolves into this dark-hearted, distrustful monster who's willing to commit murder to protect what's his murder of a very close friend it's amazing this like this journey and it all feels earned and it feels realistic like, this is what would happen if two guys who were kind of you know friends but not you know not like you know lifelong friends stumbled into a massive fortune there would be seeds of distrust and it's played so well and bogey was shut out and i don't know why he was so good
0: it makes no it makes no fucking sense because you, you, you scroll down just a little bit here on Wikipedia and you see the best supporting actor group and you see that Walter Houston, father of John Houston, wins. Because he's because he's fucking great as Howard. He's great. Just just the way he moves his eyes is like, oh man, this guy is in every scene. He's really locked in. But so is Bogey. What are we doing? <laughs> It's one of those, man. It really is one of those. C- cause you've seen, you know, we've seen enough to have this kind of sort of an opinion, but it doesn't really even matter in this case. If you watch this film, just, just the treasure of the Sierra Madre, if you're to choose one from this year, that's the one I would suggest. I think it's a really strong film. I think it's important for people to see who like heist movies and, you know, movies that deal with money and greed. And cause it, it, it's so old but it resonates so much with fans of those movies and i i really find it hard to believe that some guys were in a room and they were like all right yeah clifton webb dan daly montgomery clift lou Ayres, and Lawrence olivia yeah yeah let's go with those five no one in the room was like guys bogey what are we doing like (laughs) I find that hard to believe. It's, it's pretty, pretty fucking frustrating. It makes me wonder, did he do something? <laughs> did he do, did he do something to piss somebody off? Because I know from what I've read all, on all accounts, bogey was so proud of this performance and was so excited for when it came out in theaters. Cause he was telling people, Oh my God, wait till you see my next picture. Cause I play a real piece of shit and you, you know, you th- those kind of things. You know, you you want to hold on to, it and it, you should be able to attach the Oscar gold to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I definitely think that that's my favorite movie from this year that we watched.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think the most important quality a film can have is rewatchability. I think, and I would absolutely watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre again. I watched it three times, four oh. times. This is a film I want to analyze. And yes, yes. Hamlet I could do without. I really have no intention on going back into that one. Yeah,
0: I'm definitely not going to rewatch it like by choice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the, but the other four, especially
1: Sierra Madre, I will rewatch. And that takes us, I think that's a great segue into best picture. Let's do it. The winner was Hamlet and then we have Johnny Belinda, the red shoes, the snake pit and the treasure of the Sierra Madre. So let's take these films apart one at a time. So starting with Johnny Belinda, uh, a film I was not expecting to be what it was. Um, it's a film about that is considered the first film to deal openly with rape. Uh, phenomenal performance from Jane Wyman, Lou Ayers. Uh, It's a dark film about a deaf mute woman who was raped and becomes pregnant. And the town thinks that her only friend this kind doctor is responsible for it yeah and she can't tell anybody who did it and it's so heartbreaking at times and it's it's a very mature film for 1948 i was not anticipating that level of realism and like progressive mentality for this film
0: yeah don't you feel like some of the directors that we've talked about and that we'd like have watched this film or don't you feel that way where where you're kind of like, man, like the maturity of it, the tone of it, you, you feel like has lasted through, through film, through cinematic history. Yeah. And that's, that's so powerful. That's 70 years of, of kind of resonating with audiences that, that kind of atmosphere and that vibe. And like you said, when you're dealing with that kind of subject matter, um, I have so much respect for, for writers and, directors and films in general that that are willing to go there and tell those stories because they do need to be told
1: they do and i'm amazed they were able to get away with that in 1948 this is the middle of the Hayes code
0: oh yes yeah, it's 20 years prior to the Hays code
1: yeah amazing that this film made it through the censors considering it's a yeah. very obvious subject matter i mean they don't gloss around like they don't dance around anything in this film no, no, no.
0: yeah yeah sorry 20 years Prior to the Hays Code ending, so yeah, it's just yeah, fascinating that that movie, yeah, it kind of it kinda existed when it did, for sure.
1: Oh, in fact, a lot of these films, uh, like they seem timeless, like they could they could have been made yes. at any time. Yes, you Don't Hamlet is trapped in nineteen forty eight, but the rest of these films are everywhere. It's amazing. <laughs> Hamlet, ha- Hamlet's like. You know, if you and I were like
0: making our dodgeball teams and we're like, oh, I'll take uh, Sierra Madre, I'll take Snake Pit, I'll take Red Shoes, oh, I'll take Johnny Belinda, and the are oh, shit. You can have him if you want. <laughs> oh, my God. If you, uh, you can have him. I mean, pal. hey, man, do you want to keep score, Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Hamlet's the one having lunch with the teacher. Anyway, after Johnny Belinda, we have The Red Shoes, a... Um, <laughs> I believe it's a Hamlet. British production.
0: Hamlet, Hamlet's the one that doesn't know if they can throw left-handed or right-handed yet. They're, they're not sure. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's...
1: Uh, I do not like this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, what could have been? If only we had known, we could have put a whole focus on... That's the, that's one the of these other films. That's the game. Next
0: week, next week we'll have, we'll have some more um, clarity. Yeah.
1: Next week we have a film we both know is already fantastic. So we're going in with the, yeah, guns blazing. And we'll talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Stay tuned for that one. The Red Shoes was a British production. So it was kind of exempt from the Hays Code. That was only on American films because we've always been, you know, back ass words when it comes to
0: art. And um Yeah, yeah, still are still are in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah. It's a film about ballet, about the most prestigious ballet company in the world. And this up-and-coming dancer gets an opportunity to join them, but the guy who runs it is very demanding, controlling, and kind of nuts. And when she falls in love with the compo with the uh uh conductor, he makes her cho- choose like, do you want to be a dancer or do you wanna be in love you can't have both and she has to make a decision and it's it's a very uh cinematic film very gorgeous very like very big it's a big film yes indeed Uh, do you
0: do you think that darren aronofsky um took a bit of influence for black swan
1: yes all of these films were like you know the primer for so much after it it's really cool you can see the influences in all of these films.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, Connor and I were kind of texting throughout the week about these films and just kind of like, man, this one's good. Oh, dude, you're going to love this one. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it it kind of kind of felt that way with all four of these, uh, you know, minus, you know, we're excluding Hamlet when we're talking about the good ones. And it, it was a really, really cool feeling because it felt like we were traveling back in time to the 21st Academy Awards, to 1948. And kind of you know screening these movies for ourselves and figuring out why were these five nominated and you know to tell you the truth that's our intentions that that's that's been our intentions the entire time. If we can see all the nominees, that's what we're going to try to do. Now you know some years it'll get a little bit lengthier. You know it'll have you know whatever ten nine ten uh, best picture, but we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. And and this week we saw the capability and we just fucking went for it, you know? And I, I really like that kind of desire. We, we actually went ahead and finished it by renting the snake pit on voodoo. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't all free. <laughs> no. Uh, you, yeah. It was, it's dedication, you know, and that's the kind of dedication when you put that work in and whatever you're doing, if you're trying to listen to a bunch of music or watch a bunch of movies or read a bunch of books, if you put your fucking net out there, and and be, op- be as open as you can, you're going to get back some fucking gold. You know, you're going to get back some cool shit. And that's what we got this week. And that's what we're going to continue to do. And I think this week has been the best example of going in blind to an old year, not seeing any of these films prior to recording. And then bam, you know, um, that's, I, I love that.
1: It's an amazing feeling getting to discover new new films that I'd never heard of or even considered. And now calling them some of the, you know, best films I've ever seen. And there are oh, some yeah, I I do. that are like, just damn. And uh, The Snake Pit is one of those. Yeah. And
0: yeah, for you, I, I knew I could feel that. And for me, it's obviously Sierra Madre. Like, I I kid you not, after I watched it, I was just kind of like, I, it was one of those things where I just started laughing. I was like, Jesus, that was good, you know? And <laughs> I felt that way after listening to certain albums or, You know, I remember after I saw, (laughs) the last time I really felt this in the theater was after uh, 2018's Halloween, where I was just like, oh my God, like, thank you, you know? (laughs) And you get, you have that chilling, you know, like moment of like, ah, you know, art, thank you. And Sierra Madre like did that to me. I I knew it was one of PTA's, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite movies of all time. So going into it, I was like, this is special, you know, I want to watch this. And I can't believe it took me that long.
1: (laughs) Me too. We had, uh, my family owned that one on Blu-ray, so that was easy access. Uh, the Snake Pit Which- was the only one that was difficult to get a hold of. But we found it for a $3 rental on Voodoo, and it ended up being my favorite of the bunch. This movie, huge influence on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, unbelievably huge. Like, like, if you're a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's
0: Nest fan, don't watch the new show Ratchet, watch this movie.
1: Yeah, this is a film, another first, another film that was the first to openly discuss mental illness and mental asylums in a way that had never been done before. The, the mental patients in this film, they're not played for laughs or played for scares. They're real people who are sick, and it's treated like that. But doctors here actually do want to help these people. And uh, our main character, Virginia, played amazingly by Olivia de Havilland. Uh, I think she should have taken Best Actress this year. Yeah, 100%. She is committed because she keeps blacking out moments of her life and she can't understand like, why her husband loves her. She, something happened to her and now she's very mentally ill and the movie is her kind of journey to reclaim her sanity and discover why this happened to her. And it's a very restrained film. I was not expecting another like, huge gem where I was like, this film is really being careful here. It's really doing a delicate job of telling this story, and I could not believe again the maturity of a film from 1948 dealing with these, this kind of subject matter. <laughs> Damn!
0: Incredible, incredible. And you're, you, you know, you're 100% right. She should have gotten the gold here. I think this one's just as obvious as Bogey. Come on, what are we doing?
1: Yeah, although I'm not going to, you know, Jane Wyman was really good in Johnny Belinda. I don't, you know, discredit her. I think she deserved it. But she's great. Olivia she's doesn't. great. oh and then that takes us to treasure of the sierra madre one of the most influential adventure films of all time the one of the big influences behind indiana jones yes um and this is a film about you know greed and a lust for glory it's you know what what's mine is mine and goddamn anyone who tries to take it away from me (laughs) it's yeah it's great (laughs) it's it's
0: brilliant you know the use of the You know, the Mexican standoff, right? Uh, A thing that we've seen in films literally thousands of times after 1948. Uh, The simple plot, you know, device of using money, in this case, gold, uh, currency. It is, it's so influential. Again, I can't believe it took me this long to see it. This is a movie I feel like I should have seen when I was like 14. Do you know what because film... It, be, like, because it, it, cause it, cause it's a palette. It's like a palette thing, you know, yeah. where you're like, oh, you're like, oh, shit. Okay, this makes
1: sense. A film that immediately came to mind at the end of uh, Sierra Madre is The Killing. Y- I, yes, yes, yes. The whole idea of, you know, anything that can go wrong will because mm-hmm. of, the, of the distrust. And it had, that, it had the exact same ending. Exactly. I, I
0: believe it. Yes, so you're thinking Stanley Kubrick likes this shit. You're like, oh, man, you know, this movie, it just hits, hits hard. And I would venture to say it's a must-see for cinephiles.
1: I have a book that I refer to a lot, um, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. Yes. It's, uh, I don't think it's the most recent edition. It's the 2014 edition. But it includes films from the beginning of film, like 1902. To 2014, 1001 films that these uh, film critics say you need to see, and of this bunch, the only two in that book are the Red Shoes and the Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, <laughs> those are my two favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Red Shoes. I, I, I also, yeah,
0: just the that that atmosphere. When you're watching a 40s film, it does not it does not feel this way. It's like, is this 70s or? <laughs>
1: The end of the what's film. Going,
0: what's going on here? The,
1: the end of the film when um, oh, what what is his name? the 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 guy who runs the Boris, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boris. When he comes out, when like before they're gonna perform the red shoes, and he says, you know, it cannot go on tonight because there was an accident. Like his the the quiver in his voice of like I did this, mm-hmm. like. I don't expect that level of performance from films of this era. I just, it doesn't happen very often. There's not a lot of, yeah, man. there are great performers from this era, but there's a level of commitment that I don't think existed in Hollywood until like the seventies. And you see glimpses of it prior to that. It's rare, but you do see it. And I saw it in the red shoes and I saw it in Sierra Madre. I saw it in Johnny Belinda and I saw it in the snake pit and I did not fucking see it in Hamlet. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you, you talked about um, on previous episodes where some of these decades, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, even at times the 60s, you have just kind of like, all right, director, camera, actor, go. Yeah. And, and it's just not the case with this group. Not the case at all.
1: Everyone was trying to break new ground here. Everyone wanted to make something important. And that yeah, is a and- great feeling.
0: Yeah, and that's 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 a great segue into just kind of talking about Hamlet here is because those four films are doing that and Laurence Olivier thought he was doing that.
1: Laurence <laughs> Olivier was an amazing actor, but the man was pretentious. The man thought he was the greatest actor on the planet. And um, yeah, yeah. Just uh, to put out of perspective, Hamlet is not the only Shakespeare film he brought to the big screen. He started in 1944 with Henry V, which he was also nominated for. Then it was Hamlet in 48. Then he did Richard III in 1955. And then in 1965, he did Othello in full blackface. Yeah, fucker. A film I'd like to do on this show just so I can see that fucking travesty. Uh, Yes, he had a cameo in 1968's Romeo and Juliet, the one we all had to watch in high school. Terrible. <laughs> 1973, he did The Merchant of Venice. And then in 1983, he did King Lear. So Shakespeare was his bread and butter. He was a, you know, English Shakespearean actor. Yes. And-
0: proper, proper holding, holding the skull, all that shit.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He was the man when it came to this kind of stuff. And he knew that. And he wanted to kind of bring this to hollywood and he did and he he was you know critically acclaimed for it but i just this kind of stuff doesn't last it um it doesn't have the same kind of legacy as the rest of these films hamlet is a movie or a story that's been adapted many times it was first written somewhere between 1599 and 1601 by william shakespeare it's his longest play <laughs> 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 uh, so the main theatrical releases of this film there was the 1948 Lawrence Olivier that was the first 1964 Grigory Kosintsev uh, made a Russian adaptation of it uh, then in 1969 Tony Richardson made one a British film the first color version 1990 Franco Zeffirelli made one starring Mel Gibson as Hamlet with Glenn Close, y- Alan Bates, and Helena Bonham Carter co-starring. Yikes! <laughs> 1996, Kenneth Branagh, kind of Olivier's spiritual successor, uh, did a four-hour version of Hamlet for the screen, adapting every single word of Shakespeare's play. Didn't leave a single thing out. Got all your Rosencrantz, all your Guildenstern, everything you need. Four hours of Shakespeare. I, I might blow my fucking brains out. I don't think I could do it. No,
0: I am not willingly watching that movie. No,
1: no, no, no. There's, there's so many others that I, I rather tackle. And then the most recent version, not counting The Lion King, is 2000's Hamlet starring Ethan Hawke in a modern-day setting, where he, <laughs> he's a film student, and his uncle Claudius, played by Kyle MacLachlan, takes over the Denmark Corporation, after he kills his brother. It just sounds so ridiculous. Absurd. Modern day Shakespeare. I just don't, I don't understand. Just leave it alone. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we have mentioned the Lion King here a couple times. Might as well clear that up right now. So, unofficially, the Lion King's main inspiration is Hamlet. I mean, think about it. You've got, you know, an evil brother murdering his uh, king brother and then exiling the young cub who returns to finish, you know, finish his uncle and take his rightful place. It's, and, and then actually if you look at it, The Lion King 2 is Romeo and Juliet and then The Lion King 1 and a half is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. So, yes. whoever was making those movies was clearly a fan and uh, he had to, you know, of course, you know, kid it up. Can't have Simba, you know, dying at the end of The Lion King. <laughs> so, um, I don't know, just funny tidbits there. The Lion King is a film we will certainly be doing on Oscar Sunday at some point. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, one of the, yeah,
0: we've, I think we've covered a bit on this show or Film Gas and whatever, whichever one it is. I'm not sure it's, that, that 90s run of, of animated movies from Disney is, you know, kind of unprecedented. Absolutely. Um,
1: I consider it, The Lion it, King to be their masterpiece. Uh,
0: it, it's it certainly is uh from a standpoint of yeah changing the game up and it comes right in the you know right in the middle of the decade uh, I wouldn't call it my favorite of the nineties but it's it's certainly the most important I think
1: fair enough, and we'll have plenty of opportunities to go through you know Disney films in the future, but right now it is Shakespeare time, so put on your i don't know neck quaff thing I don't know what that's called, and let's buckle up <laughs> Hamlet. Has a IMDb score of seven point six and a Rotten Tomato score of ninety five percent. Yeah, Oof. this is the consensus: a well-executed labor of love from star and director Lawrence Olivier. Hamlet not only proved that Shakespeare could be successfully adapted to the big screen, it paved the way for further cinematic interpretations. And I agree with that. I agree with that consensus. But ninety five, I think, is pretty pretty steep pretty <laughs> yeah it's mount everest it does not need to be that big
0: A 95 you know i would have been you know dancing uh dancing my whole way home if i made a 95 back in high school but we're talking about a score for a movie and i i just think that's kind of absurd i think it's kind of like disrespecting the entire score system if a movie like this is a 95 i really like i really i'm not trying to be extremely harsh on it you know I, i'd be okay with like an 80 but 95 is kind of like for holy
1: ground you know what i mean you know what i think and i think there's this happens a lot to a lot of cl- classic films excuse me hamlet i think is one of those films that people are afraid to say is not very good i think if you say hamlet is not is a bad movie you look like the dumb guy in the conversation, and. I fucking hate that so much. There's no film you should be afraid of saying is a piece of shit. Yeah, you can come
0: You can come right here and it's okay. This is, is the subjective. place.
1: Film is subjective. It's always going to be your opinion.
0: Yeah, Film Guys and Productions Oscar Sunday is the place to say what you want about the Oscar nominated movies and we think Hamlet is just not that great. It's not. Uh, and with, with that being said, you know, we're going to do away with, you know, plot synopsis uh, on this show. We're not gonna be going into the you know, Wikipedia plot synopsis or the IMDb plot synopsis too much. Instead, we felt like we'd kind of honor the Oscars and you know make our own categories here for this specific film. Uh, unfortunate that this is the first movie that we're doing it with, but-
1: <laughs> I was also, thinking that exact thing last night.
0: Also very fortunate that we are doing it for, for this one because we don't have to go through the entire plot. <laughs>
1: Thank God, because, I mean, do you guys really want to hear us dissect no. the entire plot of Hamlet?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. They don't. And I, I do think this is better for, for us, for the show, for the audience. I think it'll tighten up the show a bit, make it a little more concise. That might make the length a little shorter, but that's all right. The uh, content will be better. So we Quality. have an own quantity. Exactly, exactly, and if you want more, just go listen to filmgasm exactly. we have uh, <laughs> we have four categories that's what we're gonna start with here. Uh, if we feel like adding more as the show goes along, we will uh but right now, these are the four we have: best scene, best performance, best music moment, and best line slash quote so let me let me clarify this is only for Hamlet, yeah. So every week, this will be just for the film we watched. Last week, we would have done Loma Sunshine. Connor could have picked uh, whoever. Abigail Breslin is the best performance, and I could have said Tony Collette. Best scene, we could have you know, gone two different ways. And that's how we're going to kind of talk about the plot and the, the story a little bit through those awards. So I'm going to let you go first. We're going to start with best line. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll let you start it off, and I'll go second.
1: Okay, before that, I want to point out one last thing. Of course. Of course, in, in, anything on Hamlet that you have, yes. Hamlet had a budget of about 527,000 pounds. Yes. Destruction. It grossed, in U.S. money, $3.25 million. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge deal.
1: Huge God damn deal. it. Oh, okay. So, my- <laughs> can't fucking believe that it even it even
0: in the 60s it even uh, was played on american tv as this like four-part thing where they like split it up and they also did that with kenneth Brannock's uh because that's like a
1: tv movie you know four hours so no thank you i i'm so glad i got out of that shakespeare class because in college i had to i was an english major so i had to have a single author focus class but shakespeare was the only one that texas state offered at the time so i was like fuck and this was the only guy who taught the shakespeare class and i had him one day and i'm like this fuck this the guy was so pretentious he ran the theater uh group he ran like a shakespearean theater group at the school he literally referred to himself as an actor he used that phrasing i am an actor yeah he, um, he said that, like, if anybody showed up late, he was going to drop, like, 10 points off their final grade. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, no way. So I, I hunted down an, an honors course on Dante. I was like, I, all right, I'm getting in there. And I never looked back, and I'm very happy about that. Thank God. Yeah. But Dante class ended up being very fun, and I got to talk about how Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is basically Dante's Inferno with chocolate. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> For best line, I chose the moment after Hamlet's father's ghost appears to him and tells him, Claudius killed me, so you deal with that. And I'm paraphrasing. Anyway, but um his friends are like, So what'd you see? And they and Hamlet's like, That's my business. <laughs> don't don't speak to me. And um he ends up uh, I think Horatio doesn't believe that there was a ghost, and he Hamlet replies, quote, there are more things in heaven and earth Horatio than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And I thought that was very profound. And I really liked that line quite, quite
0: poignant. I like that. I like
1: that a lot. That's a good one. Just cause you don't understand it doesn't mean it didn't happen Horatio. So shut the fuck up.
0: Fucking Horatio. I, I always think of Horatio Sands. Anytime I hear that name,
1: <laughs> I, I think of the uh, there was this Frasier episode where they, Befriended an old actor that they liked on T like who did Shakespeare. And he was so bad. Now that they realized, like as adults, they're like, oh my God, this guy sucks. And he's played by Sir Derek Jacoby, one of the most respected British actors ever. But his go-to would be his his Hamlet, where he would go, I die, Horatio. (laughs) With such like drama. And I think (laughs) of that. I thought of that the entire time I was watching this movie.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful. I love it. What was your best line? Best line, this would be uh, coming from Laurence Olivier Hamlet. Uh, he's talking to his mother at one point uh, early on in the film when he's very skeptical and starting to go mad. It's a, it's a quick, it's a quick line. It just made me laugh uh, when he said it. It said, go, go, you question with a wicked tongue. And this is when they're going up the, you know, sort of staircase, which is really impressive, the way this uh, place is set up. That production design is quite nice there. And uh, that's when I looked up the age of um, the mother. And I was like, oh, the actress is 13 years younger than Lawrence Olivia, yet she's supposed to be the mom. Uh, I thought that was really funny. And it caused me to go on the Internet and I got lost completely uh, uh, reading stuff about Hamlet, which uh, I know now. I know more stuff about this movie than I want to because of that. God.
1: All right. Best line. So where do you want to go next?
0: Let's, uh, let's, I think we should go uh, in order of what seems to be most important. So like least important to most important. Okay. That's kind of how the Oscars does it, their show. Right. So let's do, let's do best music moment next.
1: Okay. Um, this was tough. Uh, I didn't find the score particularly compelling. Uh, I thought it was kind of basic average. Uh, but I really liked the finale when Hamlet's corpse is being escorted to wherever they're going to do. It looks like they're going to just toss him over the edge of the castle. That's probably not what happened, but um, the music in that scene is very dramatic. It kind of symbolizes like the journey. You can feel like hints of the score from the beginning in the middle. And now it's all kind of like combined into this epilogue. And I thought that was very impressive. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I, can't you know
0: disagree with you on that? That scene might come up again. Uh, I'll say the music moment that impacted me was um got a little bit higher pitched uh tones is when you know Ophelia is um floating down the river and you know about to die. Uh, you know, kind of reminded me a bit of like Rosemary's Baby, kind of like that.
1: Yeah. And uh,
0: I dig that for atmosphere, and there's a couple times where this movie does go there. William Walton's definitely a guy. Who knew what he was doing uh, in, in in this category <laughs> when it came to music? But uh, I, I agree with you. Overall, the score is pretty average and kind of, you know, redundant. Uh, again, with these period pieces, it feels like some of the stuff is very recycled and similar.
1: Honestly, you know, I don't I don't really fault the movie with a lot of that. I think Hamlet, the story, could have could have been trimmed down. I yeah. mean, it feels like Shakespeare was getting paid by the word. I think, <laughs> like, why? In the, why, why would he, why would Hamlet host a fake play to guilt trip his uncle? Like, he he murdered his brother. You think that a play is going to make him realize, like, oh, what have I done? Oh, no, he's fully aware of what he did. He just doesn't give a fuck. And then what later, have I done? Yeah, and then later when Claudius is, like, praying and Hamlet's like, oh, he's alone. I'll do it now. But wait, he's praying. He'll get into heaven. I don't want that. Like, what? If a murderer is playing, it does not mean they're just going to get into heaven if they get killed. That's not how it works. Ugh, just, there's so much that didn't need to go down. And I know I'm very much alone in that camp. If you love Hamlet, Shakespeare is God and there's nothing I can do to change your mind. So that's just my ranting into the... What did I say a couple episodes ago on one of these shows? I'm like shooting a water gun into the ocean. Yeah. yeah. That's what it feels <laughs> like again, doing, making that argument.
0: Uh, but I, 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 I'm with you. I mean, I don't feel in particular strong about any of that work and that kind of stuff. It's just not It's not up my alley. And, you know, again, to bring up the other films we watched, you know, they're fucking cool. And they have this lasting effect. Like you brought up how they're timeless. and They still resonate with audiences now and still influence movies now. That's so true. And, you know, I could totally see myself if I were, you know, the age I am now in 1948, I could totally see myself having a, having a movie poster of De Sierra Madre. Hell, I could <laughs> see myself having one now. You know, and that's, that's like why you like movies. You know, you want to like connect with a, a part of culture and I don't, you don't, we don't here at Filmgasm really connect with the Shakespeare stuff. It's not really our bag and, uh, you know, you know, fair play, go for it. You know, of course they're these stories that a lot of people are really attracted to. It's just not really for us. And it's definitely going to be a long time before we go back down the Shakespeare path here on Oscar Sunday.
1: That being said, I agree. I'm not that big on Shakespeare films, but I really do like Macbeth. I don't know why I have a really, I have a soft spot for that story. It's fair. I think it's, you know, it's short, sweet, tells a great revenge thriller and just, you know people losing their fucking minds I, I like that story i've seen two different film versions of it i'll probably see more and uh you know i'm sure at some point i'll seek out more shakespeare films but i'm just i need to you know i want to break
0: <laughs> yeah for sure definitely definitely like i said yeah we won't be doing a shakespeare film for a long time on this show
1: oh no 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 no
0: all right what's up next Next up, let's uh, talk about what we see as the best performance of Hamlet. Well, I'm going to just – Olivier. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah, let's not let's not even get cute about this one. Uh, sure. I just don't think anyone's really shining. Uh, Olivier has obviously the most lines, the most moments. Give it to him.
1: Although I did like seeing Peter Cushing as kind of a fop. That made me That's laugh.
0: That's fun. That's fun, yeah.
1: And he's just like, "Oh, sir, you have no idea what's going on here, sir." Like, his weird.
0: <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> Anthony Anthony Quayle is Anthony Quail, Sorry, is, is is funny. Uh, yeah, it's it's like an all-star, you know, old-school British cast. But there's no one really pops for me.
1: Apparently, Christopher Lee is in the background somewhere. I was. Oh. That. He plays like one of the that? guards. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, best performance, Olivier. I mean, nobody's really taken that away. And I would not say, no. anything, you know, it's not Oscar worthy, but he's great when compared to pretty much everybody else in this movie.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what we're doing here. And, you know, maybe next week it'll be a little more interesting. But
1: yes, it that, brings, that brings us to our last
0: little category here. And that would be best scene, uh, best moment, whatever you want to call it. Explain to me and the audience, Connor, what you see as the most effective part of Hamlet.
1: For me, it's the, um, it's the final fight between Hamlet and Laertes. What was it? Laertes? Yeah, Laertes. Laertes. Yeah, this sword fight is very well choreographed. Yes. Uh, when you realize that Laertes' sword is poison tipped and he, Hamlet realizes he got scratched and it's like, well, all bets are off. I'm stabbing my uncle. <laughs> I just, I like that. He's like, fuck it, and leaps on the guy. <laughs> no, I like that. Well, yeah, because, you know, in these,
0: in these movies, when you're dealing with these, you know, these period pieces, it's like there's these unwritten rules that are so stupid and so dumb. Like, Oh no, 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 no. You can't do that. Only if this, and then, yeah, it's cool to see Hamlet just kind of say, fuck the rule book. I'm I got to do this before I die.
1: When Laertes is dying too. And he's like, the King told me to do this. And when the King is stabbed, Nobody helps him. In fact, all the royal guards aim their spears at the king. It's this moment of like, you know, ultimate betrayal back at you. And it feels really good. It reminds me again of the Lion King when the hyenas turn on Scar. It's yes. It's all, you know, it's cyclical. And I like it. I like that. Yeah.
0: I I, I dig that. I definitely think that's, you know, the climax and it's a it's a it's a good bit. And I I would say my favorite would be, uh, something that's kind of leading up to that moment is when, um, Hamlet is, you know, uh, talking to that guy who's digging the graves. I thought that was a really, really interesting bit because this guy doesn't know who he's talking to, doesn't know that he's Hamlet and is explaining this stuff. And that's how Hamlet finds out about certain circumstances that have have happened back at home because he's in exile. It's just an interesting moment. And I do think that that part was done well. He's like holding the skull, you know, Hamlet is, and, you know, it's just, that's classic, right? Classic cinema. And uh, I would say, yeah, the two scenes we chose are the ones that i all remember, but the film itself, uh, not something I'd totally recommend unless you're a huge, huge cinephile and you
1: want to see all the Oscar movies. It's a shame that it took two and a half hours for us to find a scene that we were we were gonna remember, <laughs> like those are both towards the end of the film. Oh yeah, no, those are definitely latter
0: latter parts. I I think the scene when um he's on the ground and he's, you know, his his mom is starting to be like, oh my god, he's mad. I think that scene's decent. Um, there's a couple scenes yeah with him and Horatio that are okay, but yeah, overall, there's nothing that's really. The Ophelia death scene is pretty good when she's floating down the river
1: uh, again, but yeah, all together, it's not that great i like the scene where hamlet was speaking to his father's ghost i thought the sound design in that scene was very well done it was olivia that's, yes that's him yeah, yeah yeah but it reminded me a lot of um, hamlet's father's ghost's voice reminded me so much of black philip at the end of the witch oh yes it was this dark barely speaking dark evil dead voice it was really cool. He poisoned me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love that horror movies kind of, you know, because they have no rules, they're allowed to take that shit from all kinds of genres. I love that.
1: That's why we have a whole podcast devoted to that genre.
0: <laughs> yeah, we talked about The Witch like, what, a year ago? Jesus. Yeah, that was an early episode. <laughs> yeah, we did that right around the, uh, the lighthouse. That's right.
1: Yeah. Well. <laughs> as. Did we did we go through all of the um? All yeah, the categories? The,
0: those those are the four categories we have for now. Uh, of course, for this movie, it's you know unfortunate that we're starting on this one, but we didn't know that. <laughs> and this is again, I'll, I'll, I I want to bring up just that fact that this podcast is is going to be willing to go to places that we haven't been before and are unfamiliar with, and occasionally it's not going to work out. Um, yeah. Back on back our, I believe, yeah, our fourth episode of this whole thing was um, In the Bedroom. And neither of us had seen that movie. And, you know, you're talking about 2001. Obviously, we could have chosen Fellowship of the Ring, a movie we both adore. Uh, we could have chosen, you know, Tendon Bombs or this or that. But we chose a movie neither of us had seen. And we felt like kind of doing that again. Yeah. And, of course, in hindsight, I wish we would have chosen Sierra Madre or The Snake Pit. Or fucking any of them, you know? <laughs> uh, but that's that's not what happened, you know? I chose the winner by default because I want to have some winners on here occasionally because uh, we like to mix it up. Uh, and, you know, next week, we're going to be doing another winner next week, actually, now that I think about it. But um, that's okay because we're, we're going 20 years, 20 years after to the 60s. And uh, I, I hope you're excited, man, because that group of films, 1967, we're talking about Bonnie and Clyde. We're talking about what else is in there, right, except for uh, the one we're doing, of course.
1: Well, might as well come out and say it. Next week, uh, <laughs> you, <yeah. laughs> the, you gave them the treasure map. You showed them where the X is. All we got to do is give them the fucking shovel. What so, are the other three? <laughs> we're doing it in the heat of the night next week. Uh, 1967 Best Picture winner, yep. a film that explores uh, the relationship between African-Americans and the police in the South in the 60s. Very poignant film up against some hammers, Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, Dr. Doolittle, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner.
0: Yeah, so you got Sidney Poitier, you know, just tearing it up that year. The Graduate, you know, Dustin Hoffman, that's kind of like the one he's really remembered for when he was younger. Uh, Man, that is a jam-packed year, and we're going into that knowing what we're getting into, because we both have seen In the Heat of the Night – We both really like it. I I own it. I think it's just a spectacular movie. Um, You know, we're advancing 20 years here and going to 1967, where the Hays Code is just about to end. Yeah. And and Bonnie and Clyde is really seen as one of those movies that changed the way things went. Like, all right, this is what's popular now are these kind of like gritty. You know, these are the movies for the youth, and it's changing everything. So I'm really excited to talk about. 1967 um, and those films, but in the heat of the night is one we're going to base it around. And I anticipate that when we do these categories, Connor, that we're going to have a lot more to say. Yeah. We're going to be, a l- we're going to be a lot more excited about it. And that's just, that's just the way the fucking cookie crumbles sometimes. And yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not going to guarantee that every film is going to be a knockout, but we're certainly going to throw those ones in there every now and again. And next week is one I can't wait for.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've had some episodes on the film guys and podcast that are fucking terrible movies. <laughs> that we drew from the book or decided to do on a whim and ended up being shitty, but we did our best to try to, you know, mold them into decent episodes. And we're going to do the same here.
0: Yeah. That's the whole goal. And you know, if, if there's Hamlet fans out there, I hope there's something that we said that they agree with. And I hope there's a way that they could, you know, find a way to defend their movie because of what we said. And I I love that because there's certainly times when people talk about movies I love, and I disagree with them, and it's just kind of combats me and makes me like the movie even more. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, I do. And with that, let's end the, end the episode by going into what happened this week in film.
0: Yes, of course. Uh, you know, we got to talk about how the Oscars are kind of, you know, announcing some stuff. Apparently what is it? Seven months from now, some shit like that. The awards will be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping. Well, the way they're doing the Emmys is they're just doing it virtual. They sent everybody a, a camera. They're doing it virtually, and then they're going to mail them the award. And I, I'm okay with them doing the Oscars that way. I just want to. I want an award show. I want categories. I want winners so we can add more to this show. I don't care I, if they, how they do it. I just want them to do it. Agreed. And that's uh,
0: something that I, I was reminded real quick that I'll say before you dive into the, the news is um, this podcast we have talked a lot about um, films where they should go. Yeah. And this might be, this might be a good segue into, you know, maybe the devil all the time.
1: Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah,
0: We, Connor and I watched that the night it came out. We both really liked it. Um, we both give it a solid eight. It's just uh, a movie worth watching for sure. If you like that kind of a tale, it's very dark, very violent. And uh, we were, conflicted on should we put it on filmgasm uh oh but then we're missing the boat because you know we'll have to do it in a couple weeks because of our schedule should we put it on oscar sunday ah uh, but we don't know if it's going to for sure be up for oscars and you know and then i felt you know kind of a revelation as far as this show itself oscar sunday will never do anything current from here on out yeah defy Five bloods will be forever the only current movie that we ever do on this show. Because there's podcasts out there and there's, you know, including us and people out there who write reviews and do that sort of thing. This show Oscar Sunday is going to be devoted to the past and devoted to history and doing exactly what we did this week, diving into a year, not knowing shit about it and coming up, coming up with some fucking gold, just like me, Sierra Madre. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what we're going to try to do every week. Uh, For 1967, I'm I'm hoping to find something new when I rewatch The Graduate, find something new when I rewatch Bonnie and Clyde, see Doctor Doolittle for the first time all the way through. These are the things that we're going to be doing throughout the week to bring you a show that's about 1967 and and the heat of the night next week. Yeah, well, it's it's, yeah, it's not our it's not really our place on this show to talk about what's happening currently, uh, except for this bit, of course, where we just kind of give you some news, but we will never base an episode around a 2020 film or 2021 when that's happening. It has to be said and done. However, for a 2020 movie to be up on this show, it needs to get some nominations in the spring. Yes. And then next year we, it would be up for contention to be on the show. It it, it, It needs at least one nomination for now. One day we might do like an episode on some snubs or, some stuff like that. But for now, it's going to have that one nomination. And so far, Fight Club is like the the winner of, hey, I only had one, but we had a great episode, had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, you know, this might be a little bit you know, of rambling, but I just want I, I want this to be um, a history lesson for Connor and I and for our listeners. And that's exclusively what it is. And I want the listeners to know that. And so I just, you know, communicating that uh, for us. So we go through each week knowing which year we're in. And uh, so our listeners can join us.
1: And once we get further into award season, we will do, you know, spend some time on the show talking about the current race and some stuff that we think is going to be in contention. Once the nominees are out, we'll talk about that a lot. So we will not abandon the Oscar race that's no. current, but it will, no. we will not do any episode focuses because, frankly, we don't know if we're going to be right. The Five Bloods might com- get completely shunned. We don't know. Devil All the Time probably going to get shunned as well. So we don't want to, you know, well, we don't want to be wrong. <laughs> well, and, and it, it, it defeats
0: the, it defeats the whole thing of, okay, here's 1948. It's set in stone. These things are written in history and time. We can go back and watch these five movies. Now, if we are to do the trial of the Chicago seven from Netflix uh, next month, Aaron Sorkin's film, well, what are we, what's the other films we watch? It's not up against anything. It hasn't, there's nothing, nothing's been said yet. Yeah. Of course we could, of course we can talk about Aaron Sorkin for hours. Of course. That's easy. You know, I, I love the man. We love the man, but we want to dedicate this to the past and history. And if the trial of the Chicago seven gets some nominations, shit, next year, I would love to do it on this show. But uh, that's, that's just not, this isn't a current show is the main thing. And neither is filmgasm filmgasm is about honoring genre films from every decade yeah and, and that, uh, we we, we want to stay dedicated to that
1: with that on the film podcast we will still be doing current films but only horror only yes, current exactly.
0: horror. well yes like uh we're doing antebellum in what a couple weeks yeah uh, that's that's a that's a a current one that people can be on the lookout for and, and we're going to try to throw one out there uh because i know it's on vod give people a couple weeks to watch it
1: so you can get your fix there. You know, There's so many podcasts talking about current films. We don't want to be just another podcast. We want to have something different to say. So this and is yes, our way of doing that.
0: Exactly, and it differentiates for the audience. Now they know if they want something current, this is not the place to go. Yeah. We're, we're not going to give you, the, ifs, you know, the ins and outs of the Oscar race right now every week. We're going to be talking about the past. So it's okay if you would rather listen to current stuff. There's just other podcasts to do that we are dedicated to history.
1: Yeah. Well said. I'm glad we got that out of the way. That needed to be said. Yeah. I almost forgot about that. Well,
0: yes, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're on episode 16. We're moving in that direction. Um, that's what we want to do is make this
1: podcast kind of its own thing through and through. Yes, indeed. So this week in film, we had the release of the devil all the time on Netflix on the mm-hmm. 16th. Uh, we both watched it. It was <laughs> very dark. Uh, amazingly dark. We won't spoil it here, but I thought it no, was yeah. great. And if we are talking possible Oscar contention, I would uh I would vote best supporting actor for Robert Pattinson.
0: Yeah, it's like he can't do anything wrong right now. Uh Robert Pattinson has sh- put together the, you know, latter part of the decade. I would say since The Rover and uh, you know, good time and, and that what and whatnot has put this kind of line of movies together now. When you kind of look at it on IMDb, you're like, hold on here. Is this is this guy the king right now? Is this guy He's about to be. Is he is he the best guy, like, you know, under 40 right now? Is he in that that realm? I think he is, I really do. And when you watch him in the Devil all the time, in particular the scene when he um, you know, is confronted. (laughs) I won't, I won't say anymore. Uh, He's confronted and he raises his voice to certain levels and is doing things with doing things with, uh, there's a vein right here in his head, his forehead that pops out. And you know, you can't teach this shit, right? You know, it's, it's, that's him. That's his fucking body. And it's eerie how similar he is to, um, Oh, one of our one of our favorites, Daniel Day Lewis, the way he moves uh, just the kind of instant you know he can instantly go cold, but he's also really, really charismatic. It's kind of hard to believe that that guy that guy exists. I'm so, so happy that he's playing Batman
1: <laughs> that scene where he's being confronted, he said something with some kind of southern twang that made me think, this mm. guy would make a fucking great Elvis. He, he can, he can make a great
0: anything, Connor. You, you know, he's um he really has, has that, that gift and he's kind of checking the boxes right now of working with different directors and kind of like, ah oh, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this weird horror movie. So all these people love me uh, in the lighthouse. I'm going to work with Eggers, you know, I'm going to do the Rover another a 24. I'm going to do good time. Another a 24. I'm going to do, Uh, the King on Netflix. (laughs) I'm going to do Tenet. He's a genius. He's a genius. He's playing his career out like a goddamn genius. And I I love him, man. I really, really hope the best for his career. And I think, you know, obviously the Batman is going to be kind of like the staple and people will finally really see what he's capable of. Uh, And so it makes me excited. And he's definitely a guy for me and for you right now. That's one of the best performances of the year.
1: Well, I'd like to set the record straight on my thoughts on Pattinson, just so I can get this out in the out in the air. You know, nobody's perfect. When I was when it was announced that he was playing Batman, I was very disappointed. I thought that guy really because I I hadn't left Twilight, and a lot Don't of worry. people haven't yet. And then we went and saw the Lighthouse, and I thought, who the fuck is this guy? And now, like, since then. He's become one of my favorite actors working today and I cannot wait to see him take on Batman. And I'm very happy. I was able to escape that uh, prejudice. <laughs> and I Yeah. Think-
0: yeah. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy too. I, I remember texting about when Batman, when we found out and I was like, just wait, buddy, you know, he's, yeah. he's got this, this odd gravitas that not a lot of people have true especially especially right now there's there's not a lot of males to me that have that kind of again that daniel day lewis that just kind of like in stride i fit in every fucking movie because i'm that good
1: when well, that the trailer that we got for the batman like that movie is going to put him in a completely new spotlight that is finally going to kill twilight like people are never going to see him as edward again they're going to see him as batman
0: and yeah, I'm and so excited for that. Yeah, me too. And that's, that, that's so true. And I can't deny that. I just, for me, it's been uh, a personal, you know, fandom of, you know, again, the Rover and Good Time in these movies. And even, you know, I, even, I like Water for Elephants. I, I think he, aside from Twilight has just been amazing in everything like like amazing not just good but sometimes the best part of the movie and and when he does that over and over I just I, I'm like I'm just sold and whenever they made the call for Heath Ledger to play Joker the backlash that they got yeah, was so true. so fucking ridiculous and so annoying because at the end of the day it's a goddamn movie. And so when people did that with Robert Pattinson, I was like, you just, you just wait, because we've done this before. We did this 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and we got gold. We got gold. So let's trust them. What could be worse than what they've done the past five, 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> what could be worse than, ben, Aff- than the ben Affleck Batman movies? What could be worse? So I, yeah, I can't wait. And so when he's put into that light, I just, I, I hope people do the work and watch the movies that really got him there. Yeah. And that, that I think at the top of that list, you, you got to watch The Lighthouse. He is on a different
1: planet in that movie. And then watch The Devil all the time because he delivers a fantastic, powerful, creepy, poignant performance. And I, yeah, I I really hope he does get a nod because he's the best part, part of this incredible ensemble. And. Uh, I'm glad we decided to do it this way because that's a good, you know, small discussion on a current movie that I think covers all the major points we really wanted to make. Yeah. No, yeah. It's definitely worthwhile, man. I would suggest that movie. It's
0: when a a movie that good and that different and that dark is on Netflix for free, you got
1: to check it out. Exactly. Moving on to other news. Uh, Regrettably, Candyman has been pushed to 2021. It's supposed to come out uh, mid-October. They were not feeling it. They weren't confident. So now it's been pulled from the release schedule and it doesn't really have a definitive date yet, which is really unfortunate. I'm hoping they just sell it to Netflix or Prime or somebody because I really, really want to see Candyman.
0: <laughs> God, no kidding. We, we we want it real bad on Filmgasm, yeah.
1: So one day, we'll get to do that. We were planning on doing a Candyman episode to coincide with the release of that film and we're going to hold that until yep. we get to fucking see Candyman. <laughs> so, yeah. If you want to hear us talk about the original one, you're going to have to, be, you're to, have to wait a while. Next up. Uh, Love, Lovecraft Country's Jonathan Majors has been cast in a major role in the upcoming Marvel film Ant-Man 3. According to many different sources, he's going to be playing the MCU villain Kang the Conqueror. Very big deal for Marvel fans. Oh, yeah,
0: this is super exciting. This guy is fantastic, and uh, it's really, really cool to see that they're taking that part of the MCU seriously still uh, with the Ant-Man stuff.
1: When, you know, Kang was a character a lot of fans thought was going to succeed Thanos as the new big bad because he's as big a threat. He's basically a time-traveling warlord who wants to conquer all of time. And since the MCU has opened time travel with Avengers Endgame, pretty much anything goes at this point. So it's going to be exciting to see how the new Avengers, you know, handles Kang. That's going to be sweet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, dude, super exciting. And if anyone wants to watch majors in a film, I would say check out the last black man in San Francisco on Amazon prime. One of the better movies from
1: 2019. It's a good one. Right on. And I really want to check out Lovecraft country. I've heard really good things about that.
0: Of course. Yeah. I think, you know, that's something that we would both, day gets kind of in our wheelhouse again, you know?
1: Yeah. TV's just, it's hard to find time these days. (laughs) I
0: I really don't make time for it anymore. It just, it really has to kind of grab
1: my attention. Totally. I know what you mean. And then we've got three trailers to talk about. We've got the trial of the Chicago seven finally launched Mm -hmm. a trailer, uh, coming out on Netflix, I think like mid October. Yeah. Like October 16th, 17th. Yeah. Looks fucking stellar incredible ensemble cast uh written and directed by aaron sorkin who is mm-hmm. one of the best screenwriters in the business and uh i think it looks great i'm very excited about this we were going to do this on oscar sunday prior to our uh, our change of heart which i think is a good plan but yeah, uh yeah it
0: yeah. kind of sets a precedent of like okay well then you should do this you should do this and uh, I certainly, certainly love Aaron Sorkin. Like I said earlier, we both do. Yes. And uh, we're excited for this one. We'll have a review up. Uh, we will mention it on this show whenever we do watch it. My God. Um, just, just like we are for double all the time. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. Can't wait for next month.
1: Look at this cast. Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jesus, Ins- <laughs> insane, random too. Oh, I can't wait. And then um, a surprise film I had never heard of. Uh, the Father dropped a trailer. Um, Anthony Hopkins emerging as the front runner for next year's Best Actor, uh, playing a uh, elderly man suffering through dementia, and uh, Olivia Coleman plays his daughter trying to take care of him. Looks very heartbreaking and very uh interesting i'm i'm in
0: oh yeah totally totally in. this is a movie definitely for me i i'm wicked excited and has kind of that oscar stuff written all over it
1: exciting to see tony hops take home his second oscar (laughs) hey i hope so 30 years later although i still am very much rooting for delroy lindo but this just proves that it's going to be a very interesting race and then finally, and this came out of nowhere, but I'm very excited for this, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, the final film by the late Robert Forster. And basically just, you know, small town law hunts a werewolf. Couldn't be simpler. And I'm very excited. We're going to for sure be doing this on the Filmgasm podcast when it comes out. Do we? What's the date of that again? Wolf of Snow Hollow. Let's find out.
0: Because uh, depending on that, uh, I would like to maybe blow it out a little bit and do a little Robert Forster action and try to watch some films that he was in. You know, of of course, you know Jackie Brown would be my favorite. Max Cherry is my favorite Tarantino character, and uh, Forster's just the fucking man. He he was he was a
1: legend. Currently has a release date of October 9th. Cool, cool. Okay. So we'll
0: try
1: if it's a theater release, uh, we'll figure something out. Yeah. We'll do
0: something, man. Uh, love him. He's a lost, again, a
1: lot, a lost legend. Absolutely. That concludes this week in film. Next week we are doing in the heat of the night. Very excited. Uh, going back to 67 and, uh, that's all I got. Anything else you want to add?
0: No, man. Yeah. Last time the sixties happened, we talked about Dr. Strangelove Uh, That was a good heap of fun. So uh, we're going from 64 to 67. Next time we're in the 60s, after that, it will be, you know, in the early 60s. Uh, So we're trying to jump around as much as we can, and we're going to have a lot of fun next week. Um, We're going into it knowing that we're going to be watching some bangers.
1: So I'm excited. Me too. And on Filmgasm this week, we are doing the 1990 underrated horror classic, The Exorcist Three. Our first prequel, George C. Scott, Brad Dourif, Jason Miller are going to be a fun episode. That movie's fucking scary. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, can't wait. Yeah, fantastic. We got good stuff in the works. Uh, Good place for the show right now. Very. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. We got a we got a 1990 uh, movie, so we're going to be doing a 1990 draft that I or sorry, we're going to do a tournament that I'm setting up. I think I'm going to really try to throw you off with the seating on this one. Uh, and and I think we're going to have a lot of fun. So bring your A
1: game on that. Fantastic. Can't wait. And uh, tune into that on Wednesday. And uh, as always, we'll see you next Sunday.